show us your character. Show us your will and your plans and your intentions. Form and fashion us in the image of Christ Jesus this morning. And every saint said, yes and amen. Yes, Lord. Well, we talked at some point about the life of Oswald Chambers. Um, and today I just, I'm not going to go all the way into his life. I'd just like to talk to you about his death for a minute um, by way of introduction. If you remember during World War I, um, Oswald Chambers and his wife, Biddy, that was a nickname that he gave her, Biddy, and it just kind of stuck, um, and their daughter, Kathleen, they moved to Cairo, Egypt, to minister to soldiers. Now, they had been running a Bible school for some years and teaching, and but during World War I, they really felt it in their heart that they should uh, move to where soldiers were and to minister to these men. And so they worked for the YMCA, which YMCA at this point was essentially a program to help soldiers have something to do with their free time so that they wouldn't end up in the bars and with the prostitutes essentially was the goal. And so the YMCA would have sports and games and they're just trying to get, essentially get the soldiers to come spend their time there. Now Oswald Chambers decided as the head of the uh, YMCA in Cairo that he would start to do Bible studies every night and um, preach the Bible every day. And the YMCA say, they say to Oswald Chambers, um, we're trying to keep the men out of the bars. And so you preaching every night ain't helping nothing. Um, but the opposite was true because when an anointed man who's laid down for the gospel begins to preach, the, the men just came. And Kathleen and Biddy and, and Oswald became kind of the, the favored loved ones of the, of the city where they were. Well, it shocked everybody when Oswald died at the age of 43 while they were still ministering in Cairo. You can find pictures of him in this season. He was very skinny and tired. Um, but he just had appendicitis, and he wouldn't take a bed in the hospital because he said there was some soldier who needed that bed. He wasn't going to take a bed. Eventually, they get him to go in and for surgery, but at this point, there's complications, and he passes at 43. And everyone really is totally um, shook that this anointed faithful preacher, 43 years old, has now passed. Biddy had this habit, his wife Biddy had this habit, since the beginning of Oswald's ministry, since he was um, lecturing in Bible school or preaching anywhere, she would shorthand all of his sermons, or lectures, while he was preaching. She shorthand everything that he said, it was her habit, and she kept it all. And so after Oswald passed, one soldier in Cairo says, Hey, Biddy, maybe what we could do for Christmas is we could take one of your shorthanded notes of Oswald's sermons and we could print it and we could send it to all the soldiers for a Christmas gift because everyone missed him so much. And so they did, and it was a, it was a hit. Um, so eventually the YMCA begins to get a hold of Biddy's notes, and they start printing like 10,000 copies of Oswald's ser sermons, and they'd send them out every month. Now, during Oswald Chambers' life, he wrote and published one book. And today we have something like 40 books published by Oswald Chambers, but they're all Biddy's shorthanded notes that she compiled later in her life so that his ministry continued. She said to a friend, to her sister, by his faithfulness, he speaks to us still. She said at, at one point, um, I, I have such a wealth of notes of Oswald's life that I'll never run out of the spring of devotion. Over 40 books compiled by Biddy, and uh, my utmost for his highest, you know, is still in print today. The first copy was uh, 
Biddy self-published in 1927, um, and the book is still in print today. And so Oswald Chambers' thoughts and devotions are still being shared. Now, I hadn't thought about Oswald Chambers in some time. I hadn't read anything from him in some time, but I stumbled into him this week. And as I was reading a book on prayer, my mind began to think about Biddy, knowing that Biddy is the one who compiled the work. And, and I began to think about her saying to her sister, um, he's gone, but I have his words and his words are sweet to me still. And I have a, a, a fountain of, of Oswald's thoughts and life and his wisdom and his theology and his will and his purposes and the deepest, most secret places of his heart I have in his words. I've never met the man. Obviously, he dies like a century before my life, but I still feel like I know him because I have his words. Words are strange things. They're not merely syllables strung together to make sounds. Words are the vehicle by which we express the deepest things of our own inner man. That's why Jesus says, it's not what goes into your mouth which defiles you. It's what comes out of your mouth because out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. Biblically speaking, the word heart, cardia, used in the Greek, it doesn't, it doesn't just mean the thing that pumps in our chest. It's that, that, that most sacred sanctuary of your inner man. And, and words are the vehicle by which the most sacred thoughts and intimate passions and convictions now flow out of my inner man. They are articulated through speech and you are hearing the innermost convictions of who I am. And so, Biddy says, I, I don't have him, but I have his words. And John today, in a fascinating way, he describes Jesus as the eternal logos of God. That, that Greek word logos, it just means word. He says that Jesus is the eternal expression of God's most inner thoughts and heart. Jesus is the Godhead's most inner convictions expressed so that you could comprehend them. Some translators, rather than choose the word word, in the beginning was the word, they've chosen the word, in the beginning was the reason of God. Because logos is where we get the word logic. And so they're trying to communicate the idea that Jesus is the very reasoning of God's heart expressed for us. Reason is not the right translation. The right translation is word, because there are other things happening there. But it's, it's, it's profoundly... And mysteriously important that we recognize that when God wanted to reveal to humanity what was going on in him, Jesus. When God had something to say to you, Jesus. When God wanted to reveal his passions, his convictions, his heart, Jesus. Very much what John is saying the incarnate Logos of God in this man, Christ Jesus. Now, before I get too ahead of myself, let's read the scripture because y'all trying to get me sidetracked. We'll read John 1, 1 through 5 again just to get context. And we're going to focus in on the single Greek word Logos today. In the beginning was the word, the Logos. 
And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In the beginning was the Logos, the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and life was the light of men. The light shines, and the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it, has not comprehended it. Now, last week we discussed in the beginning was, and we pointed out that it's very clear that John did not teach in the beginning became, that Jesus did not have a beginning, but as far back as you possibly could think, Jesus already was. And so John, from the start, wants us to know that Jesus is God. He is deity. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. He was in a unique, intimate relationship with God, and He was God. Already we're finding the, the doctrine of the Trinity spilling forth in John's prologue. Now, we remember, we looked last week at the fact that Matthew, the beginning of his gospel, he takes us back through David and Abraham because he wants us to see that Jesus is the king of the Jews. We pointed out that Mark paints Jesus as the servant of mankind. So Matthew says, this is the king of the Jews. And Mark says, this is the suffering servant of mankind. And Luke showed us that Jesus was truly man like us. Jesus wept and he hungered and he thirsted. And so Luke is saying, look, he's fully man. And John says, yes, but he's also fully God. So in the themes of the gospel, we see the king of the Jews, the servant of humanity, the man, fully man like us, and the divine one from eternity past. Now today, we just want to explore the title Logos. Why would John call Jesus the Logos of God? It's unique to John, the, the, that phraseology, and although we'll see it expressed in the New Testament in other ways, but it's a unique and somewhat strange title to give Messiah, the Logos of God. What was John thinking? In the beginning was the Word. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Long ago, in many times, and in many ways, God spoke to us by the prophets. But here, in these last days, God has spoken to us by the Son, through the language of the Son. He has declared His final word through the Son, who is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. Again, Trinitarian theology. What does God say to us? He says, Christ Christ is God's declaration. Christ is God's message. Spoke through the prophets today, declares through Christ himself. Look with me at John chapter 1, verse 17 through 18. For the law was given through, Mo through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
No one has ever seen God, who is, but he who is at the Father's side has made him known. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side has made him known. Christ has made the Father known. The Greek word translated here for made him known is the same word we would use to describe what it means to exegete scripture or to exegete a topic. It, it kind of means Jesus expository papered the Father. We, we had never seen the Father, but Jesus perfectly and exactly, precisely has made God known to us. It was the ministry of Christ to reveal the goodness and the glory and the majesty and the mystery of this eternal, majestic God of the universe. No one has ever seen him, but Christ exegeted him. Christ expository papered him. Christ explained him perfectly. He is the exact image of God for you to see. Behold. Look with me at John 14, verse 8 through 10. Philip says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. And Jesus says to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. When you see me, Philip, you have seen God. I express him perfectly. Christ is the incarnate revelation of the Godhead. He was with God and is God. Now there's a lot of talk about this concept of Logos in, in commentaries and in debate, and so just really quickly, I'll throw out a few ideas for you, and then we'll try to hone down on what we really think is being said here. D.A. Carson points out in his John commentary that the Stoics spoke uh, of Logos as the rational principle that governs the universe, and this principle is understood to create the rational human soul. And so logos or logic is the undergirding principle by which the entire universe is created in the Stoic philosophy. And so some have said, maybe John's interacting with this idea, saying, no, you're looking for the, the undergrounding principle that creates the universe. The logos is Christ. Someone say, maybe that's what he's doing there. I don't quite think that's what John had in mind. Philo, the Jewish philosopher, was a generation, a century before Christ, referred to, to the ideal man as the Logos. He's kind of playing with a Platonic idea, as if there is a perfect world, and then there's the shadow of the perfect world from which we exist in. And in, in Philo's idea, there was the perfect man, and then there was the shadow of the perfect man, which we would be the shadow, but Christ would be the perfect man. Again, I don't quite think that's what John had in mind. Some say that John's interacting with Gnosticism, and Gnosticism kind of teaches the same thing, that there's the, the perfect spirit world, and then there's the material world. And sometimes they would refer to the perfect spirit world as the Logos, and so maybe John is calling Jesus the perfect spirit, and, and that's clearly not what John's doing. Gnosticism wasn't even really in full swing yet. It's pretty clear, I think, when you read honestly, that John's still interacting with Genesis chapter 1. 
when he calls Jesus the Logos of God, he wants you to think of God saying, let there be light. And Jesus is the vehicle, the speech, the Logos that creates and upholds without trying to draw distinctions too sharply. Because I think it was Pastor Dave Hess that was with us who talked about every time we try to define the Trinity up, you just end up making a mess. And so without trying to dice the Trinity up perfectly, um, I think that there is a hidden thing happening here when John refers to Christ as the Logos by referring to Christ as God's thoughts, His character, His will, and His plans all being manifested through an articulated speech. And so in a really strange way, and again, you don't want to take this too far. Every analogy breaks down at some point. In a really strange way, your words are not not you, but they're even more you than you sometimes. Do you understand what I mean? Your words are outside of you. They're expressed outside of you, yet they carry the most intimate things of you. And so it may be that John's playing with the Trinity a bit by calling Jesus the Logos of God. He is God. Jesus is not the Father. The Spirit is not the Father. Yet they are perfectly one, one being. Three persons, one being. Three persons, one God. Jesus is the expression of the Father's heart. Outside of the Father, yet perfectly the Father. It may be that John's playing with those concepts. Again, you don't want to press that too hard because all those analogies get... The Trinity is just beyond what our finite minds can work out. So from here, how do we try to understand what John is saying? I I think there are three points that I'd just like to express really quickly, and then we'll talk for a moment about what this actually means for you and for your life. A.W. Pink, who's a wonderful commentator, used these three points. I think they'll help us. First, A word is a medium of manifestation. By calling Christ the word, John teaches us that Christ is God manifest. The invisible, triune, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, omnibenevolent, the the perfect, invisible God of the universe manifests himself through this word, through Christ. 1 John 1-2 through That which was from the beginning, obviously this is John, the same author of John's gospel. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was from the father and was made manifest to us. So John says in first John, God manifested in the person of Christ. We saw him, we touched him, we heard him, we experienced him, we proclaim and testify to you that he was fully God manifested. It is a historically factual truth that Christ Jesus walked the earth, was crucified and resurrected. God manifested himself in history. I've said this to you before in every Apologists will say this to you. What we have, historically speaking, concerning the life of Christ is so much more thorough than any other historical figure in all of uh, antiquity. If you say, I don't believe in the historical truth of Jesus, then you cannot believe in Alexander the Great. You cannot believe in any Pharaoh. 
You can't believe in ancient Babylonian leaders because we have so much more information about the life of Christ than any other historical figure. And not just from the apostles, but from Roman historians, from from Jewish historians. It is a historical fact. There is no historian, no historian that denies the life of Christ. God has manifested himself to us. First, Jesus is the medium of manifestation. The Word is manifestation. Second, a word is a means of communication. Words express our will. If God had a will, a paper will, if God were to define His wants and His desires, it would be Jesus. What does God desire? Well, what do we see in the life of Christ? Redemption. What does God desire? Well, what do we see in the life of Christ? The blood of the Lamb shed for your purchase. What do we see through Christ? We see God adopting sinners. What is God's will? It's restoration. It's a ministry of reconciliation. What is God like? Well, what do we see in Christ? We see Christ serving the poor. God has a heart for the poor. We see Christ caring for the widow. We see Christ healing the sick. What is God's will? Healing. We see healing in the life of Christ. What is God's will? To purchase you back from the grips of hell. What is God's will for you to be adopted perfectly, legally, in the spiritual realm as a son and daughter of the Father, despite your own failures and shortcomings? God still loves you and wants you. And you could say to me, Caleb, how do you know that God wants me? Because He told me in Christ. He said it. Words give instruction. What does God want from us? He told us in Christ. He wants Christ's likeness. Christ is our roadmap and our plan. He showed us in Christ perfect humility and lowliness and compassion and holiness. What does God want for your life? Christ's likeness. He told us. He said it. Words are informative. They communicate. They inform. Jesus informs us of the perfect love of God towards us. Jesus tells us God's perfect mercy, compassion pointed towards humanity. How do I know God loves me? Jesus put it on display with arms open wide and wrist and feet dripping holy blood. He perfectly declared God's love for me. How do I know that God cares about me? Jesus He didn't sit back in heaven passively and watch me suffer. No, he sent his word forth. How do I know that God still hears me? Because Jesus. Third, a word is a method of revelation. So again, words are manifestation. And so it's the inner thoughts coming out and so Jesus communicates he manifests to us God words are means of communication and so God communicates to us his own redemptive plan his own will he informs us of his intentions through Christ 
And third, a word is a method of revelation. Pink writes, by his word, a a speaker exhibits both his intellectual caliber and his own moral character. By the word of Christ, we experience the wisdom of God from generations past. By the word of Christ spoken, we see his mysterious, perfect providence that before the foundation of the earth, he knew me and he planned my redemption. He made a way for me while I was yet a sinner. Christ died for me. Christ is the manifestation of God's wisdom. Christ is the brilliance of God. What paradigms we see in the king of the universe serving us, washing our feet. What paradoxical beauty we see as the perfect, holy lamb of God dying a sinner's death to redeem me. We see God's wisdom, his brilliance. We see God's character. What do we learn from Christ? That God is truthful. He has shown us truly that he is slow to anger and extending mercy to generations. Christ has shown us the values of God. Your mama told you that sometimes it's best to close your mouth because if you open it, you're going to have something bad to say. God has not closed his mouth. And what he had to say was Jesus. What God had to say was Jesus. What does God love? What did Jesus love? Humanity, the downtrodden. Jesus loved redeeming the adulterous woman caught in her adultery. Jesus loved having a a meal with Zacchaeus, the thief, and seeing his life turned around. Jesus loved to see the sick, the lame, stand on their feet and walk again. Jesus loved to see a man tormented by thousands of demons be delivered and made into a wonderful evangelist. And every time Jesus turns water into wine, you know, the the plainness of water, into the, the beauty and the richness of wine. God is declaring to us, I am a God of redemption. Look up. Christ is the revelation of who this mysterious, invisible, infinite God of the universe is. He is the Father's letter to us. He is God's speech. God made a speech to you and I through the life of Christ. He's the Father's greatest speech. Christ is the diary of God, where we learn of the deep things of the Father's heart. He is the Alpha and the Omega. That obviously means that He is the beginning and the end. It also means that He is the language of God. What language does God speak? Christ. Well, from there, you could say, Caleb, but what does that really have to do with my life? Hell has a language too. It's condemnation. And so when the enemy whispers in your ear, you're not loved. You remind your heart 
that Christ was crucified on your behalf. When the enemy says, God doesn't care for you, you declare Christ. The Father shouts his limitless love for me in the death and resurrection of Christ. You can't convince me that I'm not loved. God has spoken. You can't convince me that God doesn't care for me. God has spoken. You can't convince me that my life is worthless or meaningless, that God does no, that God no longer has intentions for me. You can't convince me of that because God has spoken through Christ Jesus himself. When the enemy says, you're trash. I say, no, I am adopted as a son. I am an heir of the kingdom. Not based upon my own performance, but because God has said so in the life of Christ. And when depression and despair and sorrow seem to loom over me, when I feel broken and downtrodden, when I feel like all I see in life is gloom and darkness, my circumstances are shouting at me, you're nothing. In the quietness of my heart, I say, oh, but Christ. But God has said, God has spoken. God has a word for me in the life of Christ. In all the trials of this life, they can't undo the cross. All the condemnation of hell can't for one sliver of a moment undo what God has declared to me. When my family betrays me, when my closest friends turn their back on me, when I'm, when I'm gossiped about or others lie about me, you see this all through the Psalms, when I'm betrayed, nothing can undo what God has said to me. God has spoken. When you're intimidated, when you're tired, when it feels like defeat, and there's no way the situation can turn around. Do you know that the stone was rolled away, the tomb was empty? Every time I'm faced with situations that feel crushing, I remind my heart God has spoken, the tomb lays bare. What does Christ being the eternal Logos of God, the eternal word of God mean for me? It means that no voice in heaven or hell, no voice surrounding me, no friend or coworker or bosses, no voice should be louder in my life than the voice of Christ. No message means more to me. That's why Paul says I preach nothing but Christ and Christ crucified. There is no message more powerful, more able to release the power of God in my life, but this simple gospel declaration, that's what gospel means after all, good news, a good declaration. God has spoken. And when the serpent comes to my garden and whispers, did God really say? I say, oh, yes, he did. Oh, yes, he did. God's word has come forth from his lips in the person of Christ Jesus. God's word has manifested to me. John said we touched him, we saw him, we heard him. God's word has informed me of God's will and his intentions and his plans and revealed to me the heart of my father. 
I know God. Philip, how can you say, show me the Father? Have you not seen me? I know what God is like precisely. Because I know what Christ is like. And you can't take that from me. And hell can't take that from me. The swaying of culture can't take that from me. The crushing circumstances of the darkest valley can't take that from me. I have a word. Christ Jesus himself. Worship team, if you'd come for me. And altar team, if you guys want to get in place. I thought this week about Biddy saying, Oswald is dead, but I have his word. And in some strange way, I still have it. Through his word, his life carries on. And I would say with you, I've never seen the Father. But I know him. Because I have his word. The life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. I know God's plans for me. I know that he works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. I know he is actively engaged in my life. I know when I see him, he will call me son because I have his word. And God is not a man that he should lie. Not a man that he should lie. I know God's plans for you. I know God's unending mercy for you, for your children, for your families. I can say with confidence, his love endures forever because he has spoken to us through the life of Christ. We have the eternal logos of God in the person of Jesus. He has spoken. If you would stand to your feet, we'll get ready to close. First, if you've never surrendered your life to Christ, if you would say, I'm not a Christian, maybe you would say to us, you don't know the life I've lived. I've really, I've really messed up. I've had sexual and moral relationships or financial or gossip or slander. I've been, a, I've been an evil person. I would say to you, none of that matters because God has told us that none of that matters because Jesus's blood was shed for your forgiveness. Forgiveness is available today. Look at me. Forgiveness is available today. Mercy. What has God revealed to us in Christ? I am merciful. You can have mercy today. It doesn't matter the way that you lived yesterday. It's whether or not you will surrender your life to Christ today. Quit running from him. Quit turning your back on him. Quit ignoring the gospel when it's presented before you. Today's the day of salvation. You can know him today. Life is short, man. Tomorrow's not promised. In a moment, you can be caught into glory. And your sins will either be judged or washed. And this morning, I offer to you a washing in Christ's name. Be forgiven. Next, there were a few things that we felt as we prayed this morning. One was that there were some who are in some sort of isolation. And a brother felt like God was saying, come out, take off the grave cloths. Now's the time to get right with God, to, to have intimacy with God again, to come out of your place of despair. 
there was a word that confusion was trying to triumph over our body and that in confusion we were going to lose our zeal for God and the word was that God wants to instill hope again this morning. There was a word that someone's struggling with left ear pain or maybe an elbow issue. If any of those physical things are you, we believe God's here to heal you. If any of those things stuck for you, I want to ask you to come to the altar now. The altar's open now. Go ahead and come. Don't hesitate. And worship team, if you go ahead and lead us just for a moment. So this morning, I declare the peace of God over your life. I declare the goodness of God over your family. The mercy of God covers you. Lord, we thank you for the blood of the Lamb over every doorpost. We thank you for the word of Christ, for the speech of God, for your declaration that you love us. Hallelujah. If you would just thank him this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Well, hey, the altars are going to stay open. You don't have to rush out of here. The worship team's going to stay in place. But you're officially dismissed. If you need ministry, just hang. Just hang out and worship. But if not, you are free to get out of here. We love you so much. We pray you have a wonderful week.